Infirmary Media. Start. People engage in stop for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. Iron Maid of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we have a special games duel where all the picks will have to be game-related. I will be competing with 1993 alongside these men. First off, dueling with 1984, say hello to Man Crush. What's up? That's right. I got games of 1984, and I'm wearing the shirt that led me to victory last week. It's the uh, 2001 Cross Country Championships. This is a a legit, I don't know who owned this, an extra large, but I doubt they were running cross country with an extra large. (laughs) I, I doubt it. Also returning to the panel this week is the host of the One Headlight 90s podcast, Dueling with 1974. Please welcome back to the show, Drew Zachman. What's up, guys? It's Drew. Glad to be back. Uh, I don't know if this shirt's good luck, but it's my Lancaster Brewing shirt. So hopefully that will maybe give me some good luck as well. We shall see. But it's your shirt. Yeah. I don't wear other people's shirts. Well, this is somebody else's shirt. Oh. I don't know whose it is. It's mine now. What kind of operation you're running over there? (laughs) and as always here on the show we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness returning to the show is this week's celebrity guest judge please welcome back behind the bench the brilliantly funny judge jamie kennedy yo what's up dude hold on before we get into anything your assistant told me you came from a photo shoot what were you doing <laughs> was that a bullshit Dude, line or did you no, actually come that's from a photo shoot? Actually, real. It was my first photo shoot in, well, I don't know, a year. And I did it for a magazine and I, we went in and we went out. It was quick, man. And I was like nervous, but, you know, it was the photographer. It was outside. Clothes were out there. I went in the bathroom, got changed, did a couple looks. Boom. Did you have to wear a mask for that? I wore a mask and then no, and then you take it off for the photo. But I would have, I mean, I guess we kind of should have worn the mask with the photo. I know it's not, I, dude. I also did ADR today. I did ADR and then I did a photo shoot. Jeez, you think everybody in Hollywood's doing nothing right now? But Jamie Kennedy's fucking working. <laughs> well, I just if they're, if they're listening, I hope I wasn't rude. I just want to get in and get out. Do my lines, get out. That sounded like an '80s cocaine party reference, but <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do it you know but no i mean because there is some content that was made so it's like you got to get out there and promote it still so oh, for sure do you have anything that's lined up coming out do you finish before this i had um well i had one i had crabs in the bucket which is a movie with um taryn manning kathy moriarty we shot it in new york um at bruce dern jeremy piven uh zach mcgowan and it's like a little indie dramedy and that was supposed to go to tribeca so that's what i was doing adr for it and then i have another movie i was supposed to start in vegas in may but that got pushed so is that scream five (laughs) i (laughs) did everyone keeps asking me i'm so dead 
But every day I see like an announcement. I see like this week Courtney Cox will return as Gail Weathers. Next couple of days. This week, David Arquette's returning as Dewey. Another couple of days. This week, you know, Nev Campbell. Then I'm like, then it's more characters. This week, Matthew Lillard's ghost is coming back. This week, <laughs> the shadow of Skeet Ulrich. This week, the baker from Scream 3 is in. Still what if they Kennedy. found like some crazy shit? Like they found your pubes in a jar or something and they replicated you. Like Jurassic Park style. Total new universe <laughs> of show, man. Like, well, first of all, you guys could figure that out. Second of all, there's a huge writer. God, I'm doing him a disservice, but he's a big writer of superhero movies. And he had it. He tweeted how I could come back. And it was awesome. And it had a new nightmare element to it. How the actors are real, but then they have to, there, things are happening to them in their real life as they're making this movie. It was pretty fascinating. I'll, I'll find you the tweet and I'll send it to you. Maybe Randy possesses the soul of the van he was killed in, and the van comes back like Christine style. <laughs> I mean, I'm dead and I'm fine with it, although I never would have walked in front of that van. You know I know the rules. But <laughs> but everyone just keeps asking me, hey, what are you going to do about Scream 5? I'm like, I'm dead. Okay. I'm at Target. Hey, what are you going to do about Scream? I'm dead. I'm here just to get a fluffy pillow. I'm going to be fighting graboids in Scream 5. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip will decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we shall go to a final wild card round. Open the door, get on the floor, everybody walk the dinosaur. Because it's time we play more. Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to our celebrity guest judge, Jamie Kennedy, for the coin toss. All right, now you guys can hear this at home. Ready? Want to call it in the air? Drew, you call it. Tails. Okay. There it is. You see it right there. Heads. Ah, it's a big old George Washington right there. All right, Man Crush, you take control of the board and get to select our first category. All right. Let's start with uh let's start with music this time around. Uh and again, it's it's all games of nineteen eighty four. You got January of nineteen eighty four. And I'm going on a limb with this pick right here. I've been trying to find more artists that we haven't covered that deserve to be covered. And with this episode all about games, this is a perfect opportunity to do so here. This is this man's 39th studio album. 39th studio Whoa. album. It's a far cry from Zappa's 100 studio albums, but it's still insanely impressive. And it's a country album, which I don't think we get to go over enough on the show. I did have Garth Brooks a couple weeks back, so I'm trying to build my repertoire a little bit. I'm trying to get myself into some country music with my eventual migration to the South, because I feel like I'll get kicked out otherwise. So here we go. This is Merle Haggard's 39th studio album, and that's called It's All in the Game. The album features three number one hits on the U.S. Billboard country charts, including Let's, <laughs> Let's Chase Each Other Around the Room, A Place to Fall Apart, and Natural High. And since Merle is boys with Willie Nelson, 
He also covered the Julio Iglesias single to all the girls I've loved before, which is pretty wild to me considering a month after this album was released, you had the Willie Nelson Julio collabo where they released that together and took the whole world by storm. But since Merle is my pick here, I'm going to go ahead and say that this, his version is way better. That's obvious. But uh, anyways, it's all in the game. It would end up being number one on the U.S. Billboard Top Country Charts. And matter of fact, the title track from this was written by the 30th Vice President of the United States, which has to be the only pop track ever to be written by a Vice President. And that was Charles Dawes. He was the Vice President for... Anybody know? Wait a minute. What a decade are we in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was the vice president for Calvin Coolidge in the 1920s, but he actually wrote that song. But this is Merle Haggard's It's All in the Game. Go listen to it. Wow. That's actually, I'm going to correct you on that, Man Crush. He's not the only vice president to write a song. Dan Quayle, of course, wrote Who Let the Dogs Out. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Al Gore created the internet. So Right, right. All right, Drew Zachman, what do you have for the music round? All right, so I had 1974, but before I go to 1974, let me let me stay in 2020 as much as we love this year. And now, if anyone saw the Netflix movie called Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga, starring Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, and Dan Stevens, who was everyone's favorite character, Matthew from Downton Abbey, if you could just learn how to drive. Uh, anyway, at the beginning of the Fire Saga movie, there's a young Lars uh, who was played by Will Ferrell, who was entranced by the performers on the TV, which set him on his path of wanting to stop at absolutely nothing to win the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, that band that inspired Lars was none other than ABBA as they performed Waterloo. And that very performance in real life took place on April 6th, 1974. So I'm going with ABBA, who, uh, ABBA winning the Eurovision Song Contest for Sweden, which would then launch them on their career. Now, their album Waterloo was already released back in March uh, of 74, but their win at Eurovision is really what led them to you know, international stardom and put them uh, you know, in front of the whole world. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going with ABBA winning Eurovision. Can I ask you an honest yeah. question? Did you make it all the way through that movie? I did. Congrats. <laughs> I could not. I can't believe it was like two hours long or over two hours. I was like, it was, it was, it was lengthy, it. but I, I was up. like, you know what? I've already invested, you know, an hour. <laughs> I, think I checked the time. Cool. I checked the time a few times actually. And I was like, uh, it's still going. So I was Rachel, like, Rachel McAdams is hot though. So I think that's why I stuck in for an hour. I like I like Dan Stevens. I'm a Dan fan. He's uh, I think he's a good actor. And he, his character is actually pretty funny. I thought so. It was it was all right. The, the second half was definitely better. I was I was glad I stuck it out. <laughs> Maybe I will one day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So for my music offerings for this round, uh, I had 1993. 1993, excellent year for video games. So I looked at video game soundtracks for my music pick. Now, you look back at 90s music popular bands like Metallica, Pantera, Slayer, Alice in Chains, Ozzy Osbourne, ACDC. Imagine all of these bands on one soundtrack for a video game. All right, well, we didn't get quite that. But what we did get was interpretations or just 
blatant ripoffs of these artists. In the smash hit game from 1993, Doom by ID Software, or id, depending on who you're talking to. It was all composed by Robert Prince. People from Doom came to him and handed him a bunch of albums. Pantera, Slayer, Metallica. There was some Judas Priest in there. Black Sabbath. And said, come up with some music for this game. Just like this. That's literally what he did. If you go track by track to the, for the original Doom soundtrack, uh, level by level, there's actually websites out there that'll compare it to certain songs what? like E2M1, which is a, a level in Doom. That's ACDC Big Gun. You you work further down, there are Ooh. other songs that exact ripoffs of Angry Chair, Them Bones, Metallic, uh, Pantera's This Love. I never realized this at the time, but going back and listening to the original MIDI scores from Doom, blatant ripoffs of all these great songs. And then he gets sued? Not that I can see, no. Not even by Metallica. <laughs> That's impressive. I'm, I figure of all of them, Metallica would have come after them. <laughs> they will now that Mark let him out. Matter of fact, knows. the soundtrack for Doom wasn't even released at the time. It didn't get released till years later. And people yeah. now look back on it and they credit it as kind of being the forefather of electronic, like that. You remember that like techno nineties metal grunge sound. Yep. Yeah. You know, like God lives underwater orgy and stuff like that. That all yeah. stems from the doom soundtrack, which was kind of a rip off of eighties and nineties heavy metal. So that's my music selection are all the great MIDI songs from the video game Doom from 1993. Wow. All right, so let's kick it over to Judge Jamie Kennedy for the ruling on the music round. What's the best of? This is going to go. I have to think about this. This is going to be a while. Oh, Merle Haggard did 39 albums. He actually did right? more. This is just his 39th album. And the president, it was written by the president, the vice president of the United States. The title track, It's All in the Game, was written by Charles Dawes, who was the vice president in the 20s for Calvin Coolidge. That's insane. Then Eurovision is a real award show. And then they have the movie with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. And ABBA actually won that. Correct. And then the game Doom as a bunch of ripoffs from legendary 80s people. <laughs> right. <laughs> or really 70s, too. Oh, man. This is a tough one. This, this is probably, like, one. some rounds, I think we had to use some creativity. You know, when you're doing this with games, it's kind of tough to pigeonhole something in there. It's mellower. I mean, it's, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say this. I love ABBA. So am I picking the album or am I picking the soundtrack? You would be. So what I was throwing out there was ABBA actually performing their song Waterloo and winning the contest with that song. They actually did that. Yes. April 6th. That's hard. I, I love the 80s thing, but I'm going to take that out because they were knockoffs. I'm going to go. It's ABBA or, but the vice president writing a song was Merle Haggard. Well, he didn't write it with him. He wrote it, obviously, like probably in the 20s. And Merle Haggard redid it when he got the, the lyrics. He made this song. I doubt he was still alive because Charles Dawes probably was like in his 50s in the 20s. So I'm <laughs> sure he was dead. 
I'm just going to have to go with the vice president penning the song when he's dead. <laughs> Merle Hager was old, though. He Maybe he knew him back in the day. I don't know. I mean, that was, yeah, that's that's pretty insane. I don't, I'm trying to think of any other politicians that is wrapped. Yeah, I can tell you, Mike Pence ain't writing shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bill Clinton Bill Clinton played the, the saxophone, though, on Arsenio, but he didn't, like, have a song. He didn't have an album. That, well, it wasn't technically his album. It was Merle Haggard's, but it was still his song. He wrote it, and Merle Haggard did it. I mean, that's pretty fucking awesome, I think. And, it's but he incredible. Had, he had to all the girls I've loved before. A month before the song took off, they both released it. I think that's, to me, that was like the bigger deal with this album. But so wait, we're doing the decades. We're doing music and we're doing movies, TV movies, news and hot products. Okay, good. So that was the what round? That was the video game round. That was that was music. <laughs> that was the music. Music. Round. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I'm a little out of it. I'm a little out of it. I'm not it's just that, dumb. It's that crazy tea you're drinking, bro. But here's the deal. You guys got to give me the rules again, because the last time it was the worst of, the best of the worst. Now it's just the best of the best. It's the best yeah. of the best. And I so, feel like and, there was more crazy anecdotes. Like Rod Stewart was telling his girlfriend to get out. There was like a lot. Of, this first there, round was a little, this was more relaxed. Well, that's why it. first round, we want to get rid of yeah. the shit picks. So that's why. All right. Music yeah, yeah, yeah. All, right. All right. Give it to Merle. All right, Man Crush. Well, you won that first round and you take control of the board, get to select our second category. Where are we going? All right. Let's, uh, let's liven things up. Let's go hot products. See what you guys have. I figure Mark's probably going to go with a video game. I don't know what's going on. 74 is probably going to come with like a board game or some shit. Myself, this is what I got. So June 7th, 1984. Wow. And when you think back to the 80s, it's crazy how karate was literally everywhere in the 80s. We had karate video games. We had karate movies. Almost every kid I knew had a subscription to some martial arts magazine so they could <laughs> buy throwing stars and swords and shit like that. There were kids at your school who would lie about having a black belt in karate, routinely get their asses kicked on the playground. And I don't know about you guys, but this shit was prevalent in New York. And right around this time, I was like in first or second grade in 1984. And we used to have this concrete area where recess was after lunch. And I was part of this large group of kids that would fight one another one-on-one every day at recess. It was like, a, <laughs> it was like for kids that were seven or eight, this is like the closest thing you can get to the Kumite. It was like, it, dude, it was beyond organized. Rule number one, man crush, you're not supposed to talk about this. I didn't say it was fucking Fight Club, bro. I said it was a Kumite. Bro, it's just like three o'clock high. Remember that? It movie? was, it was kind of like that. But dude, it was so organized that if you lost, you would rotate out and you become the referee for the next match. There were bets Whoa. being laid down. We shit hardly ever got broken up. The fucking monitors didn't give a shit. What a time to be alive in the 80s. So looking back now, I'd have to give credit to two things at this point, 1984. Yeah, the karate kid, motherfuckers getting crane kicked in their face, and the arcade game, Karate Champ. Because not only was like Karate Champ the catalyst for our playground fighting ring, but it was also the catalyst for one-on-one fighting video games. Uh, karate Champ, the arcade game at the time, 1984, it's well ahead of its time. Not only was it a one-on-one fighting game, but it was also the first arcade game to have two joysticks for both players. So you needed two joysticks because that was the only way that you can manipulate. There was 24 different moves, so each guy had to have two joysticks so you could do the shit. 
And see, mm. I'm pretty sure our point scoring system for our playground fighting was completely ripped directly from this game because the first fighter to get two points wins, and we did the same shit. But here's the last part of this. It has legs. I know Dave Schultz is not on the show right now, but I'm going to throw this out. <laughs> it has legs because John Tobias, who's the guy that created Mortal Kombat, which is one of the best fighting games ever, Yep, he's on record saying that he basically based Mortal Kombat off a of karate champ. He just wanted to make karate champ better with like better players, which obviously he did. And most importantly about this pick, it's the same game that Frank Dukes and Ray Jackson play against one another in the movie Bloodsport. Do you know the scene I'm talking about where he's like, Absolutely. aren't you a little young for full contact? Aren't you a little old for video games? <laughs> and that's, uh, that's with the release of this epic arcade classic, Karate Champ, June seventh, nineteen eighty. All right, Drew Zachman, what do you have? Man, Cross, you're selling the shit out of that. <laughs> we can fight after this for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, in, in case you're wondering, uh, Bailey's Irish Cream first came out in nineteen seventy four, but that's not my pick. I just figured I would uh, I would drop <laughs> that out for you guys in case you're wondering. But that was not game related. But do you know what was game related? Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. The original Dungeons and Dragons was initially published in January of 1974 by Tactical Studies Rules, also known as TSR. And it was derived from miniature war games with a variation of the 1971 game Chainmail serving as the initial rule system. And Dungeons and Dragons publication is commonly recognized. So you're talking about, Nick, how you're... Uh, Yours was kind of like a trendsetter in that genre for those fighting games, but Dungeons and Dragons was it's commonly recognized as the beginning of modern role-playing games and the role-playing game industry. So uh, this is pretty important. And uh, if you don't know, Dungeons and Dragons departs from like traditional war gaming by allowing each player to create their own character to play instead of like a military formation. And these characters embark upon imaginary adventures within a fantasy setting. And also, D&D had a pretty sweet cartoon in the 80s as well. So it has that going forward as well. So I give you the introduction of Dungeons & Dragons, the first role-playing game ever. Mm. Was it really the first ever role-playing game? Per my research. <laughs> <laughs> no, I believe, it, I believe it was. I think he's right on it that. It had to be early. Yeah, it had to be early. Yeah. All right, so for wow. my hot product, I'm going to go over to newspapers.com, and I found an article in the News Journal out of Wilmington, Delaware, August 14th, 1993, written by Jeff Perlman. The article starts off, As much as some diehards may try to deny it, the man who spent most of the 1980s redefining the quarter is dead. But in the world of video arcade, the phenom's downfall is not so much of a somber ending as it is a proverbial passing of the torch. Goodbye, Pac-Man. Hello, NBA Jam. With a game like Pac-Man, each character was hand-drawn by somebody, said Mark Trammell, designer of NBA Jam, the video game's industry's current leader and on its way to becoming the highest-grossing arcade game ever. NBA Jam isn't like that at all. We use real images that were videotaped and then scanned into a computer. So this is my pick for hot product, the hottest video game in all of 1993. It was NBA Jam. The article goes on to talk about actual athletes 
like Shaquille O'Neal, Scottie Pippen, even Ken Griffey Jr., they all had it in their home already. Fans, everybody loved it. The only knock on anything about this is the fact that if you wanted to play a full four-quarter game, it would cost you up to $2 because it was 50 cents per quarter. But they go on to say that even at $2 for a full game, if you look at the price for a uh, like a McDonald's hamburger or something, it's comparable. Considering for that $2, you get to play video games for a whole 12 minutes, which the article goes on to state that it's longer than most video games. (laughs) (laughs) That's still pretty cheap. Two bucks ain't that bad. No. I've seen they actually are, are bringing that back with like an actual like uh, a case of it now. You can actually get the arcade game at your house now. One of my one of my friends back in Jersey actually has it in his basement. He ha- he's had like one of the original ones in his house. So anytime we go over there, we always play NBA Jam. Oh, game's amazing. Got to go with the Sonics, man. Sean Kemp. So that's what I have for the hot products round. NBA Jam. Wow. So let's go over to Judge Jamie Kennedy for the ruling on the hot products round. This is... This is an interesting one, but let's go. I'm going to go back to front. NBA Jam, I knew it was a big game, but I never really played it. I wasn't really that guy, but I knew it was setting the course. And Karate Champ, now that is something that I used to play a lot. There was a – you guys know what Shopping Bag is? Yeah, shopping yeah, like, bag. Yeah. Shopping bag is like a little supermarket, and they had a karate champ, and that was like, is, is karate champ the one where you go red flag? Yep, blue yeah. flag. Yep, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first, the okay. first level was like in a dojo, and then like once yep. you got past it, then you had like scenery and shit, like you're fighting outside. I get all crazy with video games because I met Nolan, I, I met Nolan Bushnell, and I mean that's you know. That is the Gandalf of video guy, games, you know. Yeah. And it's like he actually had a shop here in California. He was trying to make the first waiter and waiterless restaurant. And so as you would put your order in the tables, and then he had games that you could play as you waited for your food. Very cool. It, I only, it, it closed, unfortunately. But, you know, he was always an innovator. I had all the Atari games. I was a big Donkey Kong, big Donkey Kong Jr. game. But I was never a D&D guy, but I have to give it to D&D because it was the birth of not only D&D. D&D is relevant today, 45 years later. The RPG, if that's the birth of it, if it's the OG of RPG, that's incredible. Like the original like LARP, that's insane. And the story of the D&D guy is pretty incredible. I only know a little bit, but he was he went broke making that game. He went full Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters. Like he kept, he had, he like when he made that big mountain in his living room, you know, and everyone's like, what are you doing? He did that with Dungeons and Dragons. He went, I believe he mortgaged his whole life to make the game. And it was like, no one understood what it was. So I got to go with D&D. Pretty surprised in that whole take, the name Gary Gygax never came up once. Yeah. Gary, that's it. Yeah. And to yep, this day, now it's, it's resurgence. I mean, you've got people doing groups all over the world. You got, you know, the big dude, Sofia Vergara's husband's got a group. I mean, there's tons of people. It's not like I think back then it was looked down upon. I think now it's totally looked at in a different light. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. You know, it's it's just accepted. It's it's a huge game. 
I can't play. As soon as you said Dungeons and Dragons, I did not think I was gonna. No, no, but also the uh, Game of Thrones. Who created that again? Oh, the he's a Jets fan too. George R. R. Martin. Yeah, yeah R. R. I think yeah, I think George plays it. Hardcore. Yeah. yeah. He's a huge Jets fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a fucking Jets fan too. We all us miserable bastards know each other, so we can pick you each guys other meet. Out. You guys <laughs> we, meet at the local Jet fucking urinal and be like, oh shit, fucking life sucks. Well, speaking of miserable bastards, Drew Zachman, you pick up a point and take control of the board. What category are we going with for our final one point round? Thanks a lot, Mark. All right, I'm going to. I'm going to go with uh, TV. I feel like that's probably of the of the last ones that I have. That's probably the shittiest. Okay, TV. Uh, <laughs> one event of note was on August 8th. Again, dropping more knowledge. I'm doing the research here. I, I figured I would share it with all the listeners. I feel like that's the least I could do. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. On August, but this is not my this is not my answer, but I'm just, this is like an extra credit here. Oh, okay. All right, gotcha. August 8th. 1974, Richard Nixon announces pending resignation, which would be effective August 9th on live TV. Not game-related, but I just want everybody to know that. 1974. Now, also, May 7th now was... uh, This is also not my pick, but I I have to say this. (laughs) Oh, come on! Dude, dude, (laughs) May 7th was the end of a show called Bagpuss. I don't even that know what it is. That should have been your pick. Are you sure it's ended? That show still plays in a lot of countries. Here's here's the thing, though. I was using my uh, my work laptop to research these topics, and I didn't even want to bother researching that one any further. So I just I left it where it was. I saw it. I was like, Bagpuss, okay. It's huge not, in Luxembourg. Not putting that in a Google search. I'll get a call from HR like the following day. Anyway, Bagpuss. Who? Where's your work that they would get mad at Bagpuss search? Merck. I don't know. I figured they might. Oh, Jesus Christ. You never know. They probably have something that'll help a bag puss. They probably do. They probably have all kinds of vaccines for bag puss. Topical cream. (laughs) Rub some dirt on it. Okay. Anyway, uh, July 29th. Name that tune on NBC Daytime. Love that show. Now, the show initially aired from 1953 to 1959 on NBC and CBS in primetime. But the best remembered syndicated name, uh, syndicated name that tune aired once a week, which was expanded to twice a week for its final season from July 29th, 1974 until 1981. Now, show was hosted by Tom Kennedy, was announced by John Harlan. And now for you whippersnappers out there, uh, name that tune would have like an orchestra that would play songs for the contestants to guess. And originally the orchestra had a vocalist named Kathy Lee Gifford who at the time was Kathy Lee Johnson, who performed until 1978. Now, they also had like all kinds of like different games in there. They had probably my favorite was the bid a note where the host would read a clue to a song and the contestants alternated bidding as to how few notes from a maximum of seven they needed to identify the song. And bidding ended when one contestant either challenged the other to name the tune or a bit of one note was given by a player. And that, like I said, that was always my favorite. I I have a knack for naming songs pretty quickly, so I think I missed my calling. Uh, also, I was born in 1980, so I would have been like the, the only one-year-old to compete on the show. Uh, but they had other games on there as well, like Build-A-Tune, Cassette Roulette, 
Melody Roulette, Ring That Bell, Money Tree, and a bunch of others. And, and I love watching those reruns when I was younger, but yeah, name that tune. I would I would do that shit in one note. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think you should have went with Bagpuss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I should research that on like my personal computer. You definitely need to save that for another episode because I'm gonna give you 1974 at some point, just so you can do that. What month was it? Uh, bag puss. Hold on one second. Let me pull that back up. Bag puss. What was the plot of bag puss? There's a bag and there's a bunch of puss. I don't know. Um, May, that was May 7th. Was the end okay. of what network ran bag puss? Spice. I did not get that far. <laughs> Bro, are you really worried about searching bag puss? Dude, people will. I would get a call from either IT or HR, I guarantee you. For bag puss? I mean, it's a bag and a puss. What's a puss? It could be a million things. <laughs> Just say you misspelled purse. Yeah, that's good. That's bag good. bag purse. purse. I was looking for my wife. My bad. There you go. Bag puss sounds like a detective show. He's looking for you tonight on Bad It sounds like uh, like one of them black exploitation movies from like Dolomite would have been in it. It's like a spinoff. Bag. Maybe puss. it was like Mannix. Remember Mannix? Mannix with Bagpuss. It's such a oh god! I'm gonna we have to do a whole episode on Bagpuss. Bagpuss. <laughs> I think that's gonna happen next week. Actually. All right, guys. So for my television selection, uh, I have the debut. Of a game show. Now, what do you get when you cross American Gladiators with the young Indiana Jones? Debuting September 11th, 1993, I give you Legends of the Hidden Temple on Nickelodeon. This was a really popular game show. Uh, Each episode, six teams of two competed in a series of physical and mental challenges, with the goal is retrieving retrieving as many of the ancient artifacts from a fictitious Mayan temple as possible. In the end, the winning team received a prize, but nothing quite compares to the glory of rebuilding the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. I don't know if you guys ever got into the show or watched it, but it is super popular. It only ran for from 1993 to 1995, but good news, it is about to be relaunched on Quibi. If you're actually interested in competing on Legends of the Hidden Temple... Uh, they are actually looking for contestants now. You can look it up. They were supposed to start auditions and filming for it, but I think with the the recent outbreak, I think that's been put on hold. So you still might be able to get on this game show. Are you telling our audience to do this? Like our de- our demographic that's like 25 to like 45 that they should try out for this? Show? Yes, because oh, right. they're rebooting it for adults, not oh, just kids. So right. adults can get on as well. So if you're a fan of the show growing up and you never got a chance to be on Legends of the Hidden Temple as a kid, you could do it as an adult. That's good TV right there. You're a recruiter. There you go. So that's what I got. Legends of the Hidden Temple for 1993. Solid. All right. Wow. So here we go. 1984, September 10th, 1984. I love it when I can pick a debut of a show that's an absolute juggernaut when I can kill everybody in this round, which I'm going to do right here. Uh, Since I've been alive, this game show right here, it's been the cornerstone of daily, nightly television. Here's a game show that was around in the 60s. It got canceled in 1975, and they brought it back at the end of 1975 only to cancel it again 
1976. Then 1978, they brought it back again and canceled it three months later. So let's fast forward now. Five years, it's 1984, and it's back once again, but this time it's back for good. And I say it's back for good because over the last 36 years, the beloved Canadian host, he holds the Guinness World Record for the most Mm. game show episodes hosted by the same person, and that number currently stands at 8,127 episodes. And that same game show host has won seven Emmy Awards for his efforts. And I put so much emphasis here on the host because Jeopardy has become synonymous with Alex Trebek. I think they go hand in hand. Because obviously shit didn't work before Alex. And the creator of the show, Merv Griffin, he hand-selected Alex Trebek to reboot the failed shows. And he was so taken back by Trebek's like even-handed delivery and his demeanor. He knew the show would work out with him in charge. I mean, seriously, like Alex Trebek's, like his dry sarcasm, it makes the show. He is Jeopardy. He is. He can literally tell you you're a fucking dope and you'd be totally fine. You'd be like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. You'd probably laugh it off. I think he called, like I watched one a couple of years ago where he called this, uh, this one woman, like some, like a wench, some kind of wench because, uh, did, no, the, the lady did, she did like nerd rap or something. Did you see that one? Oh my God. I never and saw she, that one, but this lady, and, yeah, he went they off asked this her. question where, uh, the answer was love triangle and she buzzed in immediately and said threesome. And he, he was like, <laughs> well, you know, like he just gives his little quips and shit and like goes on about it. Wait a minute, man crush. If she answered threesome and this is jeopardy, wouldn't she have said on live TV? What is a threesome? What is a threesome? Yeah, <laughs> she did look up. I'm sure you can find the clip online. It's fucking hilarious. But the funny part about this show is initially when they, they first brought it out, September 10th, it was on syndication. So initially the, the times for the show were fucking awful. They were throwing it all over the place. And the networks actually asked them to dumb down the questions so the audience at home didn't feel bad about themselves when they were hearing it. But <laughs> Alex and crew were just like, eh, they didn't budge. And within a few years... This show is already garnishing 15 million viewers per night. I mean, it, wow. it's fucking insane. And, uh, you know, the other, it's sad. You know, this Alex Trebek, he, he's got one of the most deadly forms of cancer right now. He's got stage four pancreatic cancer, and he's still doing the show. He announced that shit last March, and he's still trucking forward. And people with pancreatic cancer, like, they go pretty quick. I think the chances of living one year with stage four is like 18%. And he's at, almost like 18 months at this point. So you fucking go Trebek. Um, last thing uh, before I forget, you can't forget uh, Johnny Gilbert as well. Cause Johnny Gilbert, of course he's the announcer for the show. He's been on the show for 8,115 episodes. So you talk about comfort wow. television. This is it right here. And when these two men step away, retire the show. Don't even fucking don't attempt it. Don't try to put anybody in their place. Just it's over. Just finish it. But this is September 10th, 1984, Jeopardy. All right, let's go down to our guest judge, Jamie Kennedy, for the ruling. Uh, I mean, name that tune possibly is in there, but wait, Jeopardy or Legion of the Temple of what? What is that one? <laughs> Bagpuss. Bagpuss. <laughs> Legends of the Hidden Temple. Name that Temple. Bagpuss. Um, 
I don't even have to say it. Come on, man. The Jeopardy is by far everything you said. I was like, geez, I would take my money now. <laughs> dude, Jeopardy. people have won so much money on Jeopardy, too. Didn't that one dude win like two million bucks or something crazy yeah. that uh, that guy had the long run? Ken Jennings, yeah. yeah. Just think about this. Jeopardy came out when I was in eighth grade, and it's still going. I'll never forget that when it came out. And I watched it with my mom then, and I watch it with her now. That's, like, crazy. Like It's it's comfort TV, man. You know yeah. every night it's going to be on, you know? Name That Tune was good, too. I honestly didn't know Legend of the of – the, Hidden Temple. Temple Doom. What a hidden temple. <laughs> I didn't know that. You could uh, you could try out for the it show. It had a two year run and now it's Jeopardy's thirty eight years. But this had a two year run. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. All right, man crush, you win this round and pick up another point. Heading into the first two point rounds. What are you gonna pick for the next category? Maybe it'll be a daily double. <laughs> Actually, Ooh. since uh, since Jamie's on, you know, obviously as an actor, I'm going to save movies for last. So let's go to news for round four. Uh, we're going to go to May 4th. May the 4th, 1984. You had the Hassenfeld brothers, and they went all in on a gamble on this date. And if you weren't aware, the Hassenfeld brothers are the guys who started the very successful toy and game company Hasbro. And on May the 4th, 1984, Hasbro and one of their biggest rivals, Milton Bradley, they decided to join forces in what was called a friendly takeover. And on that date, Hasbro would purchase Milton Bradley for $360 million, which is like $900 million in 2020. So you had, this is uh, from the article. So Stephen Hassenfeld, uh, he was then the uh, the CEO of Hasbro. He's the, basically the guy that made Hasbro what they were. He made them giant when he took over in 79 that's when they started to get big and when he took them over they were like a hundred million dollar company and with the acquisition of milton bradley hasbro would rival the current industry leader which at the time was mattel so hasbro they're popular for their toys at the time 1984 mr potato head gi joe but they're going to be adding all of milton bradley's most popular offerings so some of those you had, uh, obviously, the play school line that they're getting with the preschool toys. But you're getting all their popular board games as well, like Life, Guess Who, Candyland, Twister. Those are fucking legendary games, and that's all coming as part of this package. Hassenfeld, he would go on to become the president and CEO of this new subsidiary. And the current Milton Bradley had James Shea. He would become the chairman of the new company. But this this is why it's funny that they call this a friendly takeover because James Shea, the guy that they put in charge of the subsidiary, he was gone by the beginning of 85. So, bye. You know, they, Hassenfeld said, I got this shit, I don't need you. But the combined revenue of the two companies at that point was $850 million per year. So that's $2.2 billion in 2020, which would radically change the landscape of the toy industry. And keep in mind, this merger was official in September of 84. Transformers had just come out. But I think they came out like the toys were like August. The show started in September. So these figures would be through the roof, right? But the also on top of this, the Hasbro Milton Bradley merger, it's just the beginning because then Hasbro would go from that point in 84, from being the sixth largest toy company in 84 to the number one toy company in the world by the end of 1985. Then 1988, they bought Coleco. In 1991, they bought Tonka and Parker Brothers. And then uh, by the end of the 90s, they bought Galoob and Nomera Toys. 
So this one risky merger with Milton Bradley in 1984, Hasbro would turn itself into a company with nearly $5 billion in revenue today per year. So pretty good gamble from those guys. Wow. Solid. Not bad. May the 4th. Transformers that year. Wow. It's fucking huge. Like they just, they hit the the jackpot. In and Hasbro had G.I. Joe already, I think, right? Yeah, G. they I. had G.I. Joe. Like, they came yeah. out like in 82, at least well, that particular. I mean, yeah, that the smaller ones came out yeah, in yeah. 82. Yeah, yeah that's their big stuff. Throughout and the 80s. The, the big thing at this point with Hasbro and this, why it was important was they were trying to keep all the toys simple. And all the other toy companies were going to electronic toys and this and that. Milton Bradley was one of those companies who was trying to go to the electronic toys. So they gained all that shit and they took off. All right, Drew Zachman, what do you have for the news round? All right, so news. Again, I, I, I will go above and beyond on this one for you guys. So, I, again, a couple great options to use, uh, such as on June 4th, 1974, the Cleveland Indians hosted – this is awesome. I wish I was there for this. The Cleveland Indians hosted 10 cents beer night. <laughs> I, had to, I had to forfeit the game to the Texas Rangers due to drunken and unruly fans. Uh, so that was one thing. I'm not. It's not my. It's not my uh, answer here. But I, I felt like that was fun and wanted to mention that. You you love teasing us, Drew. <laughs> I do. I like, but I like giving more. I want people to know. Hey, what else happened in 1974, Drew? Guess what? I will tell you what else happened. Drew likes to take away our future picks for other episodes by dropping <laughs> extra stuff in this episode. Uh, but yeah, but no, but that's so. That's a good one. But I'm going with this on April 8th with Al Downing on the mound. For the Los Angeles Dodgers, Mr. Hank Aaron hit home run number 715 in the fourth inning, breaking Babe Ruth's career home run record after he tied it on April 4th. Now, Aaron would go on to finish his career with 755 home runs, a record that would stand until Barry Bonds surpassed him in 2007. Um, Besides the significance of the record alone, I feel like the all-time home run record and the single-season home run records are two of the most important records in all of baseball. Uh, and also, while in pursuit of Ruth, Aaron received all kinds of hate mail from racist pricks all over the country. Uh, so much so, the Braves had to hire a secretary to help him sort through it all. And on top of the hate mail, he also received death threats because, you know, people suck. Uh, but by, at the end of the 73 season, Aaron received a plaque from the U.S. Postal Service for receiving more mail, over 930,000 pieces, than any person excluding politicians. So people were mailing them letters left and right. Um, but was what's also interesting to me was that Aaron hit all those home runs, but never once did he crack 50 home runs in a season. In fact, he actually never hit more than 45 home runs in a season, something he only did once, proving that he was a model of consistency over his 23-year career. Now, Aaron would eventually get enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1982, garnering 97.8% of the votes, which apparently also proved that about 2.2% of the sports writers were either complete dipshits or racists or all of the above. So that's what I have. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's record for career home runs. What did Bonds finish with? Like 770? Or no, he hit 71 in a season or some shit. He so yeah so Bonds would wind up hitting um seventy three he hit seventy three yep. because seventy one 
was the was record Sosa. that um no that was mcguire mcguire yeah 98 that shit was nuts that was so much fun watching that, that was I the mean, best year of baseball ever were, obviously those guys were on juice but i still have my newspaper the front page of that sports section from the day after he beat that record but tawny katane didn't care about when i brought her uh Don Mattingly's eight home runs in eight days, like two that weeks ago. That was Don Matt. Anytime you mention Don Mattingly's automatic win. Yeah. Um, not, not <laughs> 762, 700, oh, phenomenal stash. 762 home runs for Bonds. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. All right, guys. So for my news offerings, we're going to go to the front page of the Miami Herald. Friday, December 10th, 1993. The front page we're going to talk about, uh, let's see. We have uh, Clinton violence tears at U.S. heart, talking about the uh, crime bill passage by Bill Clinton. We got some astronauts coming home, an embargo against Haiti. And then this article, which is my selection. It says, this debate is labeled V for vitriol. Video game ratings proposed goes on to talk about some congressional hearings happening in Washington talking about the video game industry and how they should propose a ratings board. The article goes on and says, the only thing I can say to those manufacturers of those video games is shame on you. Witness Marilyn Draws, vice president of the National Coalition on Television Violence. She told the panel, how would you like your teenager to go out and date someone who had just played that game for three hours? The game she's talking about? Would be Mortal Kombat. So that game was the hottest <laughs> game in 93. I thought you meant Bagpuss. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you like your teenage daughter to date somebody who just played Mortal Kombat for three hours? I don't think that holds up the same today. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Hey, he's a fucking loser. Great. <laughs> That's a prerequisite. If they don't know what Mortal Kombat is, I'm throwing them the fuck out of the right. house. I want my daughter to date someone who just played Mortal Kombat for three hours. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'll play it with them. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, the article goes on, and they talk about how the differences are going to be for the SNES version and the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat. And it goes on to say that uh, Nintendo Vice President Howard Lincoln says that what they did for the SNES version is they just changed the blood from red to green, and they removed the spine removal scene. And uh, this article states that that cost them millions, quote unquote, millions of dollars to make those changes. To me, I would think that's just reorganizing a few lines of code. But what the fuck do I know? The really interesting thing about this is we all know that the ESRB came the next year in 1994. But there really wasn't too much pushback from the video game industry because it says in here that Andrea Foster, she's the co-owner of a distributor company who says that the ratings on Sega games has actually in- increased sales for stores. For every one customer who says no to violent video games, there's actually 10 that say yes to them. So as we all know, just like the parental advisory labels on all your hip-hop albums and metal albums, they actually use that as a selling tool. I know from my personal experience, if I was buying a game, I was always looking for that rating to make sure it was, you know, a mature game. I didn't want a kid's game. Too bloody for your mom. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my news story. We got front page news. Are you allowed to buy those games when you're underage, like under 18? No, I think you need your parents got to buy it. Right. So how did you buy them, dude? Same way the kids get them now. We buy them for them. Our parents bought us those games. They didn't give a shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. 
There's more blood in it, Mom. That means I'll be playing it longer and won't be bugging you. Oh, great. Here. (laughs) Here's a porno. (laughs) That's my news story. It's the uh, precursor to the uh, ESRB. ESRB. This is the the Mortal Kombat controversy when they decided that they had to rate video games because of the violence. All right. Let's go down to Judge Jamie Kennedy for the ruling on the news round. This is like an important this this is the most important round in terms of like seismic things. This is actually a really good this is a really good round. It, I mean Milton Bradley, Hasbro, I didn't know that Hasbro were the brothers and they also had Parker brothers, so it's like I didn't I just learned that. And the fact that Transformers came out that same year and Potato Head, they already had G.I. Joe, but life and all, oh man. That's very important, so I'm going to keep that there. Video games and the rating system is also huge um, because I'm sorry, when I had ColecoVision, they didn't have ratings, right? Nope. I didn't, they didn't have no, ratings. that didn't come till 94. No. Remember in television? Is that before you guys? No, we had it in television. I didn't own yeah. one. I only... I had a fucking 2600 until we got the Nintendo. So Yeah, it, it's pretty hard to have violent video games with blocks. Like- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did I just see a tit? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a bloody spine block? Um, I mean, those are both huge stories, but you got to go with Hank Aaron. Yeah. Hank Aaron is the biggest and the most important. You know, it might be it might be the most groundbreaking sports forward story. It might be. I mean, he he, he might have broken the ground for him and Jackie Robinson. I mean. Yeah, I was just going to say Jackie, yeah. And, and no drugs, right? Durability, 23 seasons. A man that was kind of, he wasn't slight, but he wasn't a huge guy. And here he did. He played the game correctly. But that story, I, I don't know if there's anyone today who doesn't know Hank Aaron. So I got to go with Hank on multiple levels. But I love the other two. It was a hard pick, but Hank clearly is the big All right, Drew Zachman, you pick up two points and actually take the lead from Man Crush. All right. And you take control of the board heading into the final round. But you know what? I'm already out of this game, so I'm going to go first because there's no fucking way I'm going to win this. <laughs> it's down to between you and Man Crush, so I'll go first for the movies round. And we're going to go for my movie released May 28th, 1993. Now, gentlemen, when you talk about video games and movies, there's only one movie that comes to mind, and that's Super Mario Brothers. Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, just an absolute piece of trash. Now, here on this show, we often like to use newspapers.com to find bad reviews of movies. It's really fun to find retro bad reviews. For Super Mario Brothers, that wasn't very hard. So I found a good review for this movie. Oh, wow. And I think I stumbled upon something that's something's just not quite right here, guys. So this article goes on and says, A super action movie. Young moviegoers exude high praise for Mario Brothers. This is out of the Wisconsin State Journal, June 1st, 1993. Grown-ups can't believe kids would get so excited over a movie about a couple of plumbers, but they are not your ordinary <laughs> clogged drain specialists. These are the Super Mario Brothers, 
we asked young moviegoers to call us and tell us what they thought of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Although it just opened over the weekend, some of you have already seen it twice. So it then goes that it has the transcription of these telephone calls. I'm just going to read some of these reviews, see if anything sticks out as odd. Uh, We'll go to Mark Hallett, 12 years old. The movie was really exciting and very breathtaking. I think they're both heroic in what they do, and I think it's good that two plumbers would do such a good job to help anybody. Then Jerry says, (laughs) that was the most excellent movie. Mario and Luigi, I have to say, are very heroic. In The Lizard King, he was very ugly. Though the eight-foot-tall Goombas were weird, when I went to see it in Madison, I thought it was going to be a dumb movie. But then when I got done watching it, I noticed it was very breathtaking. John, 12 years old, says, I thought Super Mario Brothers was an exciting movie, and Luigi was very heroic. Now, if you've noticed here, they're basically saying the same thing over and over. This article is complete fabricated bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> the only person I ever known that liked that movie is Dino Peppers. He like he tells us he loves it. I don't know why. The fact that you have two or three 12 year olds that use the words heroic and breathtaking over and over in different reviews <laughs> in a row. I don't know, guys. So that's my movie selection. It's the all-time classic Super Mario Brothers. John Leguizamo, Bob Hoskins hated the movie. They said the entire production of the movie was a complete nightmare. They just hung out and got drunk on set. Wow. I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can describe a movie, but that breathtaking. Are there like beautiful vistas in the sewers? when they're? Pl- I mean, is there a Dr. Shivago angle? What are we talking? Breathtaking. Yeah. And, and multiple people <laughs> said it was breathtaking and that they were heroic. So, yeah, there's some funky little journalism stuff going on here. Have you ever been in a movie that you felt was so bad? Because we've read this story like plenty of times about Leguizamo and, and Hoskins in this movie. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but has there ever been a movie that you've ever done where like during the production, you're just like, fuck, get me a drink. Like, I, this is terrible. I mean that's a that's a that's a slippery slope you're going down here. But <laughs> I was happy that you weren't going to go into the nine into the two thousands because I'm like okay all these movies are before my time so I'm like good I'm not going to be in this round. Um, yeah, I've definitely listen. I've been in, I've been in some great ones, but I've definitely been in some ones where I'm like, okay, this is yeah, this potentially could have gone better or you're doing it you're hoping and then yeah come on i mean you can go imdb you can pick a few you know, right <laughs> no, we gotta hear from coming from you though because i think like at some point we we talked about to diane franklin about this too like you get pitched a movie and you read it and you're like oh this is gonna be good and then you get there and you're like what the fuck like she was talking about um shit i can't remember that name of that movie where she's naked like the whole movie Oh, the Adam and Eve one, yeah. Who? Who was it? Uh, Diane Franklin, Second Time Lucky. Yeah. So she's in this movie where they're in New Zealand, and like every scene, she's just like full nude, and they're the guy, the directors are talking about like, oh, everyone's gonna be watching this for the scenery, and she's like, yeah, everyone's just watching this because I'm butt naked. Like she's <laughs> like the story is awful. Like she's telling this whole story about it. So like, is there any point? What where was the name of that movie? A Second Time Lucky. I don't hear of it. No offense, Diane. It's uh, it's not a good movie. She said it's it was terrible. 
But has there ever been a time where you did that, where you read it and you're like, oh, this is going to be fucking great. And then you got there and you're like, what the fuck? Why am I naked all the time? <laughs> I think it was going to be, well, I mean, look, I mean, I'm going to bare my soul here, but I mean, a lot of people, I mean, listen, okay. You got me talking about this. Jesus Christ. But I mean, son of the mask is like universally hated. Right. But there's a lot with this movie. Right. So if you think about it, right. So, like, I think about this, though, in a way, like, I'm looking at my career and, like, even things that people, like, I people didn't like still made noise. So it's kind of like, oh, I did something, right? Like, so <laughs> we we go in and we're going to make the movie. And, you know, obviously it was going to be very hard to do. I mean, it was Jim Carrey and it was this amazing, you know, came out of nowhere, this movie. But when we were making the movie we thought this is going to be really cool very cool special effects very big production values and we were very excited and then when the movie came got put together a lot i mean you would need five podcasts to talk about it but basically (laughs) the door midway during that movie i started getting Okay, that wasn't how I envisioned that scene. Okay, it's like I thought that was going to be a little different, you know. And so, really, it was it was hard. I mean, that's a it's it's hard. I mean, that's that's hard to do. But yes, that 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 was a movie where I definitely um, was not what it could have been, what it should have been. And now, when that movie came out, it was like two and three year olds, four year olds. Like it was like a kids movie, right? Right now, yeah. those kids are like seventeen, eighteen, whatever, nineteen. 14. They all are like, like retweet my stuff. Oh my god! So it's like it, it like hit its base of like four year olds. We just didn't know at the time <laughs> we were. We just didn't know at the time we were making a movie for four year olds. I thought it was like making like a young movie about a couple having a baby. It has powers. The New York Times reviewed a movie that was basically about four year olds, telling me. What a piece of shit it is, and I am, and I'm like, it's for four year olds. Well, you guys were in the long game then, like you. Were, it was the long game, like you're Dude, going for it now. On the real, I, honestly, when we were doing, I was doing another movie called Max Keeble's Big Move, and it was just a fun movie. It was one of Disney's last kids movies. It was Tim Hill who directed all of the, um, uh, Chipmunks movies, or he directed like two of them. But his dad is George Roy Hill also. Um, and it's like, you know, Tim is a, it's a great director. And it was fun. It was a fun kids movie. But like Josh Peck was in it um, and different people. And people now who grew up love that movie. So you, you do something sometimes and people don't like it and then they love it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make you go down that road. But I will say this. Um tremors the last two tremors were much better than i think people realized and i was the director and the writer don michael paul is awesome and he the movies if you watch them like they could have been theatrical like i'm very very excited about that so they they was something that you might have gone and go i don't know what this is gonna be it'll be fun i'm gonna be in africa for six weeks but they ended up being really fun really fun that's awesome so you never know basically is what you're saying well no you have i mean look you do you do this stuff but it's like if you go and you make an egg right like you go to your kitchen and you make an egg 
and you whip the egg and you make the toast and you make the bacon. It's you, you and you alone have to live with that breakfast that you made, right? Well, when you make a movie, someone's making your egg, someone's fucking making the bacon, some guys over there brewing, and you don't know how the fuck it's going to come together. <laughs> and, and then they look at you and you're like, you're the guy that bought the eggs. You're a piece of shit. You're like, hold on. I just fucking was the egg guy. I didn't. <laughs> That's when I just say, fuck it. I'm having cereal. <laughs> That's a great way to fucking look at it. Right? And the next thing you know, it's like you fucking created Bagpuss. And everybody. <laughs> I feel like that would be a fun set. That's the second best analogy I heard this week. Somebody, I had an epidemiologist tell me yesterday that masks were the equivalent of having safe sex with a Kleenex. It's like, oh, that's a good picture to, to look at. You're not supposed to do that? Come on. What? I think my egg analogy might go above the epidemiologist. Come on. I'm just saying. Was he in the sequel to The Mask? No, come on. Man. You're like, hey, I didn't want to make you go down that rabbit hole, but let me just open up this huge kettle of worms. <laughs> that's what makes it so great. I'm sorry, Drew. All right, so we are down to the final two competitors, and uh, whoever wins this round is going to win the game. Drew Zachman, you are ahead 3-2, to two, man crush. Why don't you go first, since you are behind? All right, All right so let's go uh, August 10th, 1984. Now, we're talking about uh, kids' movies with Jamie Kennedy here. So here's a great kids' movie from my childhood, and trust me, they do not make them like this anymore this movie is somehow rated pg just pg not even pg 13 but it was written by tom holland tom holland the same man that wrote child's play fright night psycho 2 class of 84 scream for help he wrote a children's movie this right here is one of the reasons the 80s were so fucking awesome this is also one of the movies i grew up watching this on hbo like all the time in the mid 80s this was on cable constantly. I watched it again last night. Still holds up. Fucking amazing. And it was also directed by Richard Franklin, who's the same guy that directed, like, he's got, like, dark movies that he directs, like FX2, World of Sexual Fantasy from the 70s. And he also directed uh, Psycho 2, which uh, Tom Holland wrote. So we're in for a great movie to see with the family right here. The movie, it would do marginally well. The box office, it made roughly $10 million dollars. It's about $25 million in 2020. It starred E.T.'s Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman, who pulls double duty with two roles in this one. And before I get into anything else, speaking of Dabney Coleman, am I the only one who thought he was dead? <gasps> He's not? Wait, dude, this is a Mandela effect. <laughs> dude, I thought, we did this a couple years ago, where I thought Don Rickles had been dead for like 20 years, and then he died in 2017, and I was like, what do you mean? He's been dead. We talked about it on, remember the old show, Mark? We, we went all through this. Yeah. Same Is thing he happened. Alive? But he's alive. He's 88 years old. He's alive and well. He's been in like a wow. bunch of stuff between now and then. He's alive, but it, it blew Wow. But yeah. Dude, that's nuts. a Mandela effect, dude. Did wow. you know he was alive? I swear to God, when you just said that, I thought I read, I just read a story that he had passed away. I dude, I thought he was dead for like a long time, which is bad, but he's alive. But here let me let me describe this children's movie. It's fucking fantastic, okay? If you're in the mood for a great children's movie, this might be something for you if you're into 
multiple kidnappings, death threats, grown men trying to blow up a little girl, multiple murders, evil old people with physical deformities, video games. <laughs> William Forsyth is a computer nerd who gets shot in the face, parents who ignore their kids, kids that pretty much do whatever the fuck they want, imaginary friends that convince kids to find weapons to kill the bad guys, and then the kid kills the bad guys. Uh, it's basically like a two-hour commercial for the Atari 5200. And if all that sounds up your alley, then 1984's Cloak and Dagger is the movie you should go watch. Fantastic movie. I grew up on this one. I, oh, I own it so on good. DVD. I think I've seen this movie 50 times. It's incredible. That's a kid's movie? It's a fucking kid's movie. Like, last night I watched it. I'm 42. Am I 40? Yeah, I'm 42. And I watched this shit, and I was completely into it the whole time. Yeah. I was just like, wow. <laughs> What's great about the movie is the pacing. You get so sucked in, and it is the fastest movie ever. At an, and it's an hour and 41 minutes, and it goes by like it's a half an hour. It's incredible. Yeah. Such a Hen- movie. Henry Thomas is like, I'd say he's like 11 or 12. He hangs out with like an 8-year-old girl. They plan a bomb in their walkie-talkies to kill the girl. They call the guy the they call Henry Thomas Dumbledore they're gonna slit his throat. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's all because Tom Holland wrote this shit. It's the greatest kids movie ever, and it's because it came out of the eighties. Because that shit would never fly today, ever. Wow. wow. You know what's crazy? Here's a little side thing. I just thought that Wes Craven, I believe, at one point sold the original Nightmare to Disney. Yes, you can look this up on deep, deep going the boards, and it was gonna be lighter. And I believe it was a guy, and he's like, he goes into your dreams. Woohoo! Like, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I swear. They were like, he goes into your dreams. Woohoo! You can make it like a pillow, or, you know, like, I, I'm telling you, look it up. Go deep on the. On the Reddit board, you'll find a horror community. But I believe I was told this by a couple people, and I think That's it's true. Fucking wild. Well, that's like, there's so many stories about that shit with Wes Craven. Like, Shocker was supposed to be like his next big series. And then they had the first movie, and then they just never did any of the sequels. I love Shocker. And then, of course, you know, he kicked everything off with Scream again in the late 90s, and horror went off again. Cloak and Dagger. I remember that movie. I have to see it, but God, that was like an. That's crazy. Dude, fucking Dabney Collins wearing like the gray leather jacket. Yeah. What sucked me in from that movie is the beginning where they have the whole role playing game scene and he has yep. a watch that turns into a little saw and he saws off the chain on the briefcase. It, it was fucking like great. James Bond for kids with video games. It's incredible. And violence. Wow. Oh, total violence. All right, Drew Zachman, what do you have for the movies round? All right, so this one, I'm going to get right to it. December 19th, 1974, the movie adaptation of Backpuss comes to life. <laughs> uh, but it's funny, though, uh, Mark, that you mentioned Bonds, because I am talking about... Anytime I love Bond movies. They Growing up, you know, my dad and I would watch them all the time, so I always love Bond movies. Uh, anytime a Bond movie comes out, got to see it in the theater. Uh, but I am talking about uh, this classic Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun, which was released on December 19th, 1974. And this was actually pretty impressive. On a budget of $7 million, they pulled in $97.6 million at the box office, or just over $510 million in today's dollars. And this film had you know, a lot of significance. And one key item uh, was that it was the last Bond film to be co-produced by Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, since Saltzman sold his 50% stake 
after the film was released. Now, I don't know about you guys. I, I always loved Roger Moore as Bond. Uh, he was a bit slapstick and comical, but I love those flicks uh, you know, with him in there. And this movie was no exception and kind of equally ridiculous at times. The character names on point in this movie. Um, the man with a golden gun, he was a hitman named Scaramanga and was played by the amazing Christopher Lee. There was Britt Eklund playing Mary Goodnight, which is a great name. Hold, hold on, side note. That's the second time Jamie Kennedy's been on the show twice, and Britt Eklund has come up both times. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, the Rod Stewart thing. Right, wearing her panties, and now she's in Bond. All right, I'm sorry, good. Yeah, that's all right. (laughs) Uh, And then also even more ridiculous than the character names in this film, uh, the main villain Scaramanga had a third nipple. Yeah, that Bond also tried to replicate when he tried to, you know, uh, play uh, Scaramanga to try to get in and get more information. Uh, but guess what, guys? Uh, did you know, a little extra research here, that one in 18 men have third nipples, while one in 50 women have them. So it's not like it's that rare. Um, I had no idea. So I figured I'd mention that, you know, the more you know. So odds are, uh, there's someone right now on the Yankees with three nipples. So I <laughs> probably, I'd probably put my money on Brett Gardner. I feel like he's probably that guy, but I uh, could be wrong. Anyway, how this ties into the games, uh, Bond's always gambling somehow in movies, usually playing Baccarat. But in this one, uh, there's actually a key scene at a Muay Thai venue uh, when they're there for a match. So throwing in sports, knickknack, third nipples, and Muay Thai, uh, this movie pretty much had it all. And also, I don't know if you guys uh, played this now. Holy shit. It's there. It's there. Uh, but this game was also fun to play uh, when you, uh, you guys remember GoldenEye for your Nintendo 64. Yeah. They actually had the golden, uh, the man of the golden gun setting, um, because GoldenEye is also one of the best games ever made, even though I kind of sucked at it, but it was still fun to play. So, yes, that's what I am going with. Man with the golden gun. One of my top five Bond films, definitely. But let's see what Judge Jamie Kennedy has to say. Is it going to be the man with the golden gun or Cloak and Dagger who wins this game? Well, hold on. Let's just talk about this. Gosh, this is uh, interesting. Cloak and Dagger is a very good. I have to see it. I don't remember. I remember. I thought that was like a spy movie. That's how. Well, it it, it is, but it, the whole thing is based around a Cloak and Dagger. I guess it's the Atari fifty two hundred cartridge right. that has an extra chip in it that has plan. I don't want to give it away. Don't give it away if you're gonna watch. And it. then the man with the golden gun was that Roger Moore or was it Sean Connery? That was Roger Moore. So his first one, or is, it wasn't his last one? Uh, it wasn't his first or last. I think he did, I think, two after that. Wow. Okay. And then Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Am I allowed to pick whatever I yeah, want? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know what I'm going to go with? No, you haven't told Super us Super Mario Brothers. You know why? <laughs> because Bob Hoskins was in it, and he was in with me with Son of the Mask. And I love you, Bob. Wow. Damn, all that and Mark pulled that That's out. an upset. I did not expect to win that round at all, but you know what that means. That means that actually gives the win to Drew Zachman, who comes away with this one with three points. All right. Wow. I'll take I mean, it. Cloak and Dagger sounds really good, but I have to see it. Obviously, Man with the Golden Gun made a big stink, but, you know, it's Jamie's choice. <laughs> You're the boss, man. Jamie, we got a couple of questions from people on our Facebook page. You got a couple. Is it on? Is this live right now? No, nah, I just asked them if okay. they have anything, and they they Go write for it. it. 
We're going to actually. You guys got to do video, guys. You guys got to do We are. We are. We're going to shift soon. Uh, The studio is almost done. Bam. Uh, Podcast New York Studios is pretty much finished. They made us move into a second room because the first one sucked. And it is fantastic. And it should be up soon. We're waiting on a couple more pieces of equipment. But this is what we got. Uh, Gavin Redlift. I probably butchered your name. I'm sorry, bro. He said, uh, your character in the Scream franchise loves horror films. What are your favorite horror films? Oh, didn't I answer this last time? Okay. I don't um, think so. I'm sure you probably answered this 50 times on other shows. 50 billion. Um, <laughs> in no particular order, Halloween. Nice. Um, Nightmare. Uh, Rosemary's Baby. The Exorcist might be number one. Friday the 13th. Don't hate on the original uh, Chucky, the original Child's Play. Yeah. So yeah. I, I try to pick one from each genre. Like Halloween is the boogeyman, but it's also really well done and very suspenseful. Uh, Nightmare is more like dream sequence, but also real, real, but it's ethereal. Um, Friday the 13th is straight slasher. Dude, The Exorcist is the scariest thing ever because it's like real and you're like, is this like you can't escape the other ones, but like you can't escape if the devil just takes in your body. You're like, how am I going to stop that? That's, that's scary. And Rosemary's Baby because you're like, oh, God, I'm giving birth to the devil. That's scary. And then I got to throw a scream in there, even though I'm in it, because I've as I've gotten older and I've stepped away from being in it, it is very important in starting a new road in the genre. So I would throw those in there. I can see he's got a piggyback question here. He said, I guess he's talking about Scream. He says, was the role important to you uh, working from the perspective of an alleged horror film fan? You know, this guy alphabetizes his. (laughs) Yeah, it was important. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the horror fan of like Randy was. But I do remember that Nightmare on Elm Street was one of my first four rentals or five rentals. It was like, that was like a movie. I, it wasn't, there wasn't like, I think Caddyshack was out and like, I got it. It was like the first time we went into like the local videos. So what was it? 83. So well, 80, 84 nightmare came out. So you were probably renting it in 85. We just like got the VCR and it was a big deal. So I would say, I would say, yeah, it was very, it was very important. And I did a lot of research. I mean, there's other movies that are hardcore. Like I spit on your grave, you know, you also Texas chainsaw. You can't, I, I left that out. I apologize. There's other stuff that I'm not educated enough on, but you know, there's George, you know, day of the dead too. I mean, you got to look at George Romero for the zombie perspective, but, but I, I don't, I only learn more as I go to conventions and stuff, but, but I did my homework then, but Carrie, I I consider Carrie just a great movie. I mean, it's a thriller. It was a horror, but I mean, yeah, Carrie's an Brian incredible. Brian De Palma movie. fucking killed it. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a great one. It's a it's an incredible movie. But you know, there's too many to name. But those are some. We years ago we had William Cat on who was in Carrie, and mm-hmm. one of our old co-hosts. I'll never forget this. He because I, I don't know if you know this, but William Cat missed out on being Luke Skywalker. No, he lost out. Yeah, so. <laughs> So our old co-host basically asked him, like, well, how did that feel? Like, Oh, dude, no! <laughs> dude, it was the worst. Asshole. The old 
That's worse the than worst. asking a Super Mario Brothers question. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a All prick. Right. Hey, how'd that feel? Um, pop culture <laughs> lexicon. Like the one thing the aliens say when they land. How's that feel? <laughs> that's a that's a I feel like that's something a bagpuss would say. Oh, it was, oh, it was, a, it was such a kick in the dick. Uh, the look on William Cat's face was. Oh God, I can still Who remember. Who fucking asked that? Why did he ask that? <laughs> he was a dick. He was just he was a dick, dude. Right, Mark? Mark, oh, where's yeah. he at? Where's that guy at? Not on this fucking show. I can tell you that. <laughs> Is he on the side of the LIE somewhere? On fucking. <laughs> Working at a Dunkin'? I wouldn't even hire... That's fucked up, man. Here, I'll give you a little... I had a choice when I did Son of the Mask, by the way, to fucking let you know, between Son of the Mask or Without a Paddle. And I went went with Son of the Mask. But, I mean, you could ask that question. That could be a little sensitive. But Luke Skywalker, that's a lot. Come on. I love Without a Paddle. That's a fucking good flick, too. Good movie. It's a good movie. Who were you supposed to be in that? I think I was going to be... You're not going to be Seth Green's character. No. I think it was... I think it was Matthew. I think it was... I think it was Matthew's character. Who... It would make sense because we've gone up for certain roles like 13 Ghosts. I wanted that role. He got that one. So, you know, you go out with certain actors for a while. Is there... Is there a time when you... uh, You have like... Obviously, if you're in acting, there's like a competitive nature when you're uh, auditioning for roles and whatnot. And I'm sure you go against the same people time and time again. So when you walk into a room for an audition, do you ever like cross paths with them and you're like, fuck? No. you. Well, in the beginning of your career, you're very like, oh, geez, I got this, this, this dude again, this dude again, this dude again. But as you get older and you're all in the same game, it's you you have a good time and you laugh but um one time i went in for a movie and it was and it was me and jay moore and then i think rapaport just left and matthew lillard was coming in and it was the and I, it was so much dialogue and it was a good script but it was a Catherine heigl movie where she was a hitman Oh yeah, 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 I know yeah. what you're talking about. I know, what and none of us about. got it. None of us got it. Good and thing we were too. All like, we had like 75 fucking pages of dialogue to memorize, and I'm like, it's like 9 a.m. It was like, what? and they're like, you too. And we're all like, Fuck. and some dude got it from like Germany. I think Till Schwager got it. I think Till Schwager, who was not in the room, got that role. And I don't even know what it was. It was Hitman. It was some Hitman movie. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I just, as a matter of fact, I think it's on Amazon Prime because I passed it the other day. Yeah, wasn't how the it, fuck uh, do you two for the money? How do you memorize that? Two for the money. Yeah, there's two like for a series the money. of those movies. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh how do you God. memorize that, dude? I always wonder that. Like, how do you do that? What do you do? Uh, you stay up the night before and you just fucking say, you know, two, one line over and over again, again, and then the next line again. You go back again. You do it. You walk around your house. You just do it. That was the thing, though. You know, you guys got really, really spilling the sauce. But I mean, that's a lot to ask somebody to memorize. Yeah, it's like nine a.m. and it was a ton of dialogue. And he's like, "I'll cut through this fucking night slowly." And de- there was like so many adjectives, delicately, as I cut. You know, I was like, "What the fuck?" 
So uh, you just you just do it because you're like, oh, it's gonna be a good movie. You're excited, you're excited, whatever. All right, let's Come move on. on. I got another. I got more people here. Is uh, Brian Moreno, great listener. He always asks questions. I'm sure he's gonna ask for a shout out at the end of this one. I haven't even read it yet. Uh, he said, "I love the Jamie Kennedy experiment, and Chris Creed was one of my favorites." Do you have a preference of working on TV or over movies? Uh, he wrote Scream 5, cough, cough. Also, can I get a shout out? Also, can I get a shout out like I got from Diane Franklin and Keith Coogan? <laughs> oh, you had Keith on? He What's was just up? on last week. This is my buddy. Love Keith. Oh, um, he, dude, he was fucking great. He's so knowledgeable, dude. Dude, he raised me. Talk about 80s movies. He raised me. Oh, um, ridiculous. So, okay, what's up, Brian? Just a shout out, Brian Moreno. What's up, dude? There you go. You got a shout out. What was the question again? Bagpuss? The question he said, uh, <laughs> do you have a preference working TV over movies? Oh, well, in a perfect world, you just do movies. I mean, that's how I am. I like, I love to do shit and go and do it and be done. Like, you know, like I did this movie, Crabs in the Bucket. We were in uh, New York for four weeks and it was great little project done you know like but like when i did tremors the last one we went to uh, cape town south africa six weeks boom you prepare i love movies because you prepare you have your day boom you plan your day out you have your work and then you're done and you can go out and eat depending on how hard your day was hang out a little bit but i love movies because then they're done and then you can take a break you feel like you accomplished something i mean i do love tv too but it's like, you know, ongoing, which isn't bad for money, but like movies, you're done with it. And then it's like you completed a little project. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's movies. like TV feels like a drag. Like it feels it's, like dude, you never It finish. isn't though, dude. I mean, it's money. It's crazy money. And there's a lot of amazing creative shows. But yes, if you want to. Yeah. Like you, I know what you're saying. It's I don't want to be disrespectful to TV, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like same thing. It's like almost like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Where You're doing you the start same in shit. August. Yep. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like people are like taking it really seriously, and it's like, come on, it's a TV show. Here's your numbers. Relax. It's a TV show. <laughs> stop. Stop overthinking. <laughs> it's all of the demographic. Oh, I did a medical show once, and they were telling me how to hold the scalpel. I'm like, come on, if they're looking at the scalpel, we're losing viewers. Stop it. Like, <laughs> and they were like, so there's a lot of overthinking in TV. Movies oh, is not so sure. much. Oh really? There's, I mean, my wife, uh, my wife's a nurse practitioner, and she watches my because my daughter watches Grey's Anatomy, so they've been watching that. And watching that with them is like watching me watching a military movie because I pick out everything. I'm like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, nah, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> so like watching this show, I don't pay attention to it while they're watching it, but like they'll like I don't know, like use the paddle. I don't even know what the shit's called. Like you know, they put a tube in their throat or whatever, and she's like, nah, that's not how you do it. That's wrong. Nope, oh that's not even God. hooked up. Like, <laughs> you ever think about that when you do shows like that? You're like, oh, somebody's at home going, no, nah, you're a dick. That's not how you do it. Not once do I ever think of that <laughs> shit. Okay? My job is to say the line and fucking make you believe it. That's it, and I barely do that. Look, you if I'm if you're worried about where the scalpel's going, you got a fuck, you got a problem. Okay, you need to see bag plus. <laughs> All right, last question I got here, and this is actually a great question. He said, "What questions are you tired of being asked?" 
Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would just say like, like, you know, I'm a little over answering questions about what was it like to work on screen? Like, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It was 23 years ago. And I'm not saying people don't ask me all types of questions, newer questions, but that one, because you can find that one on the internet. I've answered that about 30,000 times. You could just Google that. Jamie Kennedy says, well, any question that's Googleable, <laughs> I think is, you know, is annoying. But hey, I mean, you know, I'm lucky. So. At least they're asking you the question about it. That's yeah, why, exactly. Like, I mean, that's the good part about it, but I, I totally understand that. Like, And I feel bad sometimes like bringing up roles that people have done that they're famous for because I'm sure that they've heard the shit 85 times or probably way more and just they're like, all right, well, here, here's my canned answer. And that's why we love doing this show is because what we hear from you guys is a lot of different shit because we're not asking you those direct questions. You know, you're just telling us stuff because we're throwing memories at you. Yeah, no, it's good. When you ask, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, it's good. You know, people ask that. But, like, when it's just like, what was it like to get fake blood on you? Oh, man, let me tell you all about that. That was. (laughs) (laughs) So you must love doing uh, panels at at conventions. (laughs) Well, panels, (laughs) I've done, yeah, I've done Comic-Con a few times, but. No, the panels are good, dude, because you know what? Those are hardcore fans. They'll bring up some shit that you did. Like, I did a, I did a cartoon in Sweden 20 years ago called Damab, and like seven episodes. And this dude asked me this question. He's like, in Damab, episode six, scene three, when your character, he was like, broke the shit down. I was so impressed. I was like, okay, let me get an answer here. I'm like, so those can go one of two ways, very general or super specific. Yeah, we've, I mean, some of the ones we've been at, I'm just like, oh, that's a really good question. Like, I, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And then you're right, because we've had other ones where people are like, uh, you know, be a horror movie and they're like, what was it like getting stabbed by Jason? Yeah. Were you, here's a good one. Were you scared? Were you filming Scream? Were you scared? It was a movie. It was, it, were you scared, though? Were you really scared? It was scary, right? Was you scared? No, no, it was a movie. It was just, it, so you can't get yourself in that type of mind frame where you're like, fuck, this is really crazy. Like, I'm scared as fuck. When you see craft service right there, when you see a guy in a fucking cliff bar. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. Teamster over there showing his buddies fucking Instagram. Come on, he's thinking. That's the fucking greatest image I could ever fix. Did you say he was eating a cliff bar? Yeah, he's just right now. That's some scary Don't shit, man. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta take a picture of that. <laughs> Don't Don't move. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, he's got to go to video. <laughs> That's the plan. That's the plan. All the the fucking studio is all fucked up. And then uh, we're also going to do, we're going to throw this out there now so you guys know another live trivia is going to be coming up. And it's going to be completely different from what we did before. Uh, it's going to be multiple choice. It's not going to be typing in the answers. It's going to be fucking way better. Uh, Everyone get involved. I know we had problems the last time because, you know, people typing fast and people knowing the answers. You won't have to worry about that shit anymore. 
it's gonna be super fun uh what do you think mark another couple weeks probably two weeks yeah i'm thinking that's probably about the time frame we're looking at but we're still trying to work out all the kinks we got some great ideas in the works so you guys have asked for more live trivia so we're working on trying to find a way to bring that to you guys in the best way we can you gotta have like consolation prize because i kind of feel bad i kind of fucked drew on the abba because abba really was the best but Merle Haggard doing thirty nine. That's pretty huge. <laughs> well, you fucked you fucked me on the last round. You gave it a mark for Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, Cloak and Dagger, Cloak and Dagger is really specific, but it's supposed to be amazing. You're not the first person who said this, so I have to see it. But I don't. When I think of 1984, I don't think of Cloak and Dagger. I think of War Games. Was that 1984? I think there's other movies. That's 83, actually. I oh. wish if I if I had war games, I would have selected it. But the reason I went this well, direction, dude, was why couldn't of the you Atari. pick Nightmare on Elm Street? Because it had to be game oriented. Is that why? It had to be game oriented. Yeah. Ah, uh, there you go. You're good. See, like okay. Drew did like a deep pull where they're like at a match. Like I went. All there was in. a, a game <laughs> involved. This my movie was based on fucking video game. Come on. But then I had to give it to Mark because Mark. I mean. Everyone knows Super Mario Brothers, so even though you didn't like the movie, it was the most <laughs> pop centric title. I mean, it's right. still well, it's, huge. It's your it's your choice anyway. Like I'm just, <laughs> fine. I, don't really, I don't really right. care. It's not like I'm going to win any medals. Three, the main bad guy had three nipples. That counts for something. <laughs> yeah, I'm just learning how to play the game again. I'm like, oh, it's a, it's the decades based on this topic. Okay, I forget. I mean, you, you got a lot it's, of rules with this thing. It's, wait, what did you what did he say last time? It's like. Something like fucking a meat in a box or something. What was that line? Putting liver in a box and fucking it. Yes. <laughs> that's what this game is? No, that's what you told us last time. You said this is like putting liver in a box and fucking it. Well, why would you why would you put the meat in the box when you could put the puss in the bag? Good point. Good point. <laughs> I think that's your tagline. For the for the reviews on you know for the podcast on when you sell it to Spotify right there bam <laughs> this, this podcast is like fucking meat in a box yes that's what it was meat in the box so you could fuck it but dude we got to have you back on again you're you're great and you're starting to get it two episodes in maybe by the third you'll really you'll really have a handle on it hey and I, you know what I love it's not a time commitment or anything this was only two hours the next one hopefully we'll do. <laughs> Like an hour forty eight, you know. I mean, four hours, five. I just can keep doing it. Long pandemic time, right? <laughs> Thanks again, bro. Do you do you have anything else you want to plug before you go? My special is called Stupid Smart. It's now on Prime. It's on Tubi. It's on iTunes. On Voodoo. By the way, to all your listeners, are we still on? Yeah. Yep. Voodoo's got a ton of movies. You see, all these over the top services are awesome. So. Uh, Roku, it's also on Roku. So, anyway, that was a weird ending. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys, man. I'm sorry I was asleep in the beginning, but now I woke up. So let's start over. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. You be safe, man. Appreciate you, you. Too, right, you too. Really good, man. Thank Take you, care, guys. Dude. Thank you. All right, duelers. Well, unfortunately, we're gonna have to end this episode right here. But if you've missed an episode, you can always go back to DuelingDecades.com where you can catch up on all of our past episodes and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It can be on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Cassette Tape, cassette tape whatever you need. <laughs> and while you're out there subscribing and listening to other shows, 
Go out and check out the the One Headlight 90s podcast hosted by our good friend Drew Zachman. And what you got coming up on that show, Drew? Um, got a couple of things. So the last episode I released, I actually had my two daughters on. Uh, why not? Pandemic project. So I had my four and seven-year-old daughter on. We talked about Aladdin. They had a blast. I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to be doing the uh, an episode on the best 90s instrumentals, uh, worst 90s movie parents, 90s summer blockbusters, 90s fads is coming out soon. Uh, and I'm also going to be throwing out, it's not a 90s topic, but I feel like it's important and I really want to talk about it. But mental health, just period, mental health, because like uh, this time right now is pretty crazy. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of going through some stuff. So I wanted to put an episode out there. I'm also going to be doing like a playlist name, mostly 90s songs. I might break the rules on this one, have some maybe from the 80s or maybe post 90s. But just, you know, try to help people get through this this crazy time, you know, keep your head straight, you know do what you got to do and you know we're all going through it so uh just an episode to kind of help people kind of keep pushing forward so that's what we have coming up over on uh the one headlight 90s podcast excellent make sure you subscribe to that show as well so until next time duelers we're gonna bid you a peace love light and a joy have a grateful week everyone infirmary media